0: Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with Benedict Rogers, co-founder and chief executive of Hong Kong Watch and the author of The China Nexus. He sheds light on the protests happening across China, the human rights abuses in the country, and how the Chinese regime's influence has spread into free countries too. Benedict, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you very much. Good to be with you.
0: So I want to begin with your book, a copy right here, The China Nexus. And you have an interesting story behind it. So can you just briefly tell us why you wrote this book?
1: Yes, so I first went to China when I was 18 years old uh, to teach English for six months uh, in Qingdao on the East Coast. Uh, and I had a wonderful time there. I made a lot of friends. I fell in love, really, with, with China. But over the subsequent years, uh, I've seen uh, the Chinese Communist Party become uh, increasingly repressive across the board, uh, dismantling Hong Kong's freedoms in breach of an international treaty, committing genocide against the Uyghurs, uh, intensifying the persecution of Christians, the atrocities in Tibet, uh, of course the persecution of of Falun Gong and forced organ harvesting, and the crackdown on on civil society and, and lawyers. Uh, and independent uh, media and and dissidents, Um, and on top of all of that, of course, the (laughs) threats to Taiwan um, and indeed the threats to our own freedoms. And I looked at all these developments and and I realised that although there are many books on China, there are really very few that put all these different pieces together to show the picture of uh, the increasing repression within China, but also aggression uh, beyond China's borders by, by the CCP. But I also wanted to put across the message uh, that uh, I'm not anti-China, in fact I'm very pro-China as a country uh, from my experiences living and working there uh, and travelling extensively, Um, but it's the CCP that uh, I'm a critic of and uh, I think making that message very clear is really important.
0: On that note, you do say in your book there's a way to be pro-China, right, but not pro-CCP. So you can kind of explain the differences between these, because sometimes people conflate the two. So how are they different?
1: Well, we often use uh, the term China um, as sort of shorthand for the CCP, and that's understandable in, in, uh, in conversation. But we should be clear about the difference. Um, China as a country is, of course, a, Uh, a great and ancient civilization um, with a a huge history that long predates the CCP, Um, and uh, being pro-China I think means respecting that, um, valuing that, uh, but most importantly being on the side of the people of China who are uh, suffering under the CCP. Um, And the CCP on the other hand is uh, the regime that currently rules China, but it has no legitimacy, nobody elected it, uh, and it is, uh, uh, particularly at the moment under Xi Jinping, uh, uh, an extremely authoritarian, you might even say totalitarian now uh, regime that is suppressing uh, all its people and particularly anybody who holds a belief that is uh, at, at variance with the CCP's ideology.
0: On that note, why is the Chinese Communist Party so against faith? It says it's intrinsically atheist, so what is it about faith that it seems to fear?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I have a chapter uh, in the book on the persecution of Christians, but the principle applies, of course, to um, all the groups, the Uyghurs, Tibetan Buddhists, Falun Gong, and, and, and anybody who has any uh, spiritual or, or religious belief. Um, but there are two quotes in the book, uh, one from Pastor Wong Yi, who is now in prison, who was a very prominent house church pastor, and the other from the former US Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback, and both of them use this phrase that the CCP is, uh, uh, has launched a, a, a war against faith. And I think the CCP, I mean it's always been hostile to faith, but it Seems to be particularly so now, because it um, is hostile firstly to anything, any alternative belief system, um, any gathering of people that it feels it doesn't uh, control and perhaps are not uh, loyal to to its uh, beliefs. Uh, and uh, in particular, I think it sees, because it's a inherently atheist uh, uh, belief system in in the CCP, it, it sees faith as Um, uh, representing ideals and values and beliefs that can empower people, can uh, uh, give people strength and and courage, um, and it doesn't want people to, to have those things.
0: On the note of strength and courage, it seems right now we're seeing all these protests erupting across China. Some are just about the COVID lockdowns there. Some are calling for the end of the CCP or even for Xi Jinping to step down. And especially among the younger students, there are calls for freedom. So how do you see these protests? What has changed that so many people are speaking up?
1: I, I think the protests are extremely significant. Um, I think they're the most significant protests that we have seen in China uh, since uh, the Tiananmen Square uh, massacre of 1989. Uh, there have of course been other protests in the intervening years, but mostly uh, the protests until now have had been focused on a specific issue, and a lot of them have been focused on uh, labour rights. Um, this is the first time in many years that we have seen such widespread large-scale protests across so many cities where, as you say, people are uh, not shouting uh, end the zero COVID uh, policy or uh, end the COVID lockdowns, even though those were the things that sparked uh, the protests, um, but they are uh, chanting uh, Xi Jinping step down, CCP step down, and we want freedom and democracy. Uh, and I think uh, that's hugely significant because it, it tells us that, uh, contrary to what the CCP would like us to believe, uh, the people of China um, have not actually been indoctrinated by the CCP. Um, And I think we are seeing the boiling over of um, uh, frustration and and discontent that has been simmering for some time with uh, the increasingly repressive nature of the regime, uh, the surveillance state, um, but also the economic uh, slowdown. And I think Xi Jinping has broken the sort of unspoken pact between the party and the people that previously existed, which was that the CCP would have some degree of legitimacy in the eyes of the people um, in return for presiding over an economic boom that saw living standards raised significantly and and that uh, in the 90s and early 2000s allowed for Uh, a certain amount of limited space. Xi Jinping has dismantled all of that. Um, He seems to be hostile to uh, private enterprise and entrepreneurialism um, and is undoing some of the economic reforms of his predecessors. Uh, And I think we're seeing Chinese people uh, expressing their discontent both with the repression and with the um, economic slowdown and the fact that the party has, has broken that unspoken pact.
0: Expanding on that, how would, say, Western countries, the US, UK, all these other ones, how would they help the Chinese people who are calling for freedom?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, we we should be uh, messaging very clearly um, that we stand with the, the, the Chinese people, the people who are protesting, and those who are not protesting, but who share the same uh, goals. Um, and we should be really uh, clear about that. I think we should be finding ways to uh, get information into the country to circumvent the the great firewall of China uh, and to um, help com- communicate uh, support to the people of China. Um, and we should also be uh, standing up to the CCP regime in Beijing um, and, and signalling, most especially at this time, that if they were to uh, embark on a a really serious crackdown, um, there will be serious consequences. And I think for too long we've allowed the CCP to get away with impunity, with, it, with atrocities and crimes against humanity. Um, we should be preparing to use really tough uh, targeted sanctions, not against China or the people of China, but against the CCP. I think it's probably a combination of factors. I mean, in terms of what's happening in China itself, I I, I think uh, uh, the business and financial uh, connections are the most uh, powerful uh, reason for uh, the the rest of the world's uh, silence. Um, That silence is starting to uh, change. More people are speaking up, more governments are speaking up, but they're speaking up, but not necessarily uh, acting. and that's what we need to push them to do. In terms of um, Burma and uh, or, or Myanmar uh, and North Korea, um, it's uh, it's a real tragedy because especially what's happened in in, in Burma over the last uh, year and a half since the coup there. You would have thought that uh, it would command uh, the world's attention. I, I suppose one fact, well, two factors uh, uh, the, that uh, has meant it hasn't gained the attention it should probably are, of course, the war in Ukraine, which has uh, uh, commanded uh, most of our attention, um, and also the the, the legacy of COVID and the economic challenges that we're facing.
0: That was Benedict Rogers, co-founder, chief executive of Hong Kong Watch and author of The China Nexus. After a break, we hear more from him on what can be done in terms of the human rights atrocities happening in China. And how we can protect our own freedoms here at home. That's coming up in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We continue our coverage with Benedict Rogers, co-founder and chief executive of Hong Kong Watch and author of the China Nexus. He sheds light on what can be done in terms of the human rights atrocities happening in China and how we can protect our own freedoms here at home. When it comes to the human rights issues, you mentioned earlier some people are speaking out about it but not taking the action. So what would those actions look like if they're taken?
1: so, in in the book, I outline ten uh, recommendations i won 't go through them all now, but I group uh, the ten recommendations into three uh, categories um, and the first is to uh, to end uh, impunity to ensure accountability, uh, and to put in place uh, punitive measures so that uh, the CCP knows that uh, there are consequences for its crimes um, and that hasn 't really happened uh, until now, with the exception of uh, a few sanctions from the United States uh, and uh, uh, a few token sanctions by uh, one or two other countries, um, we haven't really used the sanctions tools that we we have, whether that's targeted Magnitsky sanctions, uh, for which uh, many of our countries have uh, legislation, uh, or whether it's uh, uh, other sanctions measures that could be taken. So, so using sanctions, um, but also looking at um, What can we do to to hold the regime accountable? Um, What justice mechanisms uh, could be created uh, to do that? That's the first uh, set of actions that I think we should take. Um, And I should say also, most importantly, re-examining our economic relationship and if not totally decoupling, which um, I recognise is uh, probably, well, without doubt is extremely difficult to do and and certainly impossible uh, overnight, Um, at least uh, diversifying our economic relationships so that we reduce our strategic dependency on China. Um, and, uh, and can afford then to take the tough action that is needed um, uh, whilst uh, broadening our trading relationships with other countries. So that's the first set of, of measures. Secondly, we should be looking at what we can do to help uh, people who are suffering under the C- CCP uh, get out if they need to, to find sanctuary in the free world, but also how we can support them, those who choose to stay, uh, and. Uh, continue in their dissent and their resistance to the CCP. And then thirdly, what we can do to protect and defend our own freedoms in in our own societies, because the CCP is becoming an ever-increasing threat to our freedoms through its infiltration and, and influence operations
0: on that last part the influence operations especially abroad given that you've spent time inside china and also in hong kong and might know the signs better than other people what have you seen in the western countries like signs of this influence
1: well i think uh, the influence is is really extensive and and pervasive across many sectors so we see it in Uh, the higher education sector in universities, uh, the use of uh, Confucius institutes as propaganda outlets for the CCP, uh, the intimidation of uh, uh, Hong Kong or Uyghur or Tibetan uh, students in our university campuses, uh, the weaponization of of funding uh, to influence uh, universities. Um, We see it in uh, uh wall street in in uh, hollywood um in in politics uh just recently we we heard reports from canada of the uh ccp's influence on uh through funding uh, of um 11 uh political candidates in in canada uh, earlier this year in the uk uh, our intelligence agencies exposed uh, the operations of one individual christine lee uh, who turned out to be working for the CCP's United Front Work Department, which is their their main um, body that used for these influence and, and infiltration operations. Um, and I'm sure you know she wasn't acting alone. She's th- just the tip of the iceberg. Um, in a much smaller way, I myself have uh, had some experience of of threats from. Uh, from Beijing, um, letters to my home address, to my neighbors, even to my mother. Um, so yeah, it's pretty extensive, and I think all our, all our countries in the free world need to wake up to it.
0: And when it comes to you, you mentioned like you're banned in China, they even stopped you from entering Hong Kong recently after the national security law. So what are they afraid of? Why aren't they letting you and others like you in? Well,
1: that's a question I, I, I often ask because um, I, it seems that they have a, um, a vastly inflated uh, opinion of my uh, influence because, uh, as you say, um, I was denied entry to Hong Kong actually in 2017, um, so before the National Security Law, and I was probably the first uh, Westerner to, to be banned. Um, but then I was threatened uh, by the Hong Kong police um, under the National Security Law Actually, threatened with a, a prison sentence for being what they called a, a threat to China's national security, and um, it, it, they seem to be just incredibly scared of two things: uh, the truth, um, but also any criticism. Um, and it appears that uh, even someone as you know r- relatively insignificant as, as me, uh, they they regard with um, Uh, with alarm. And and to me, that says that actually this is not a a confident and secure regime. It's a a much more uh, fragile and insecure regime than perhaps uh, we sometimes realise.
0: And then I guess on the flip side, in a way, you've had quite the journey, right? You've been a journalist inside China, you've interviewed the Dalai Lama, you've interviewed all these different people. But over all these years, maybe what was the one story that really stood out to you?
1: I think um, there were so many stories, and when I was researching the book, I I did more than 80 interviews uh, for the book, Um, but possibly one of the stories that uh, most stood out was um, uh, a a very prominent Hong Kong uh, activist, Alex Chow, who was one of the leaders of the Umbrella Movement uh, in 2014, and he was one of the very first political prisoners in Hong Kong. Um, I mean, since Uh, he and Nathan Law and Joshua Wong uh, were first uh, jailed in in 2017. Of course there have been hundreds more uh, since then, but uh, Alex described to me a a combination of both uh, the the real uh, pain and and trauma that he and his family went through uh, when he went to prison, but also how he was then able to turn his time in prison uh, to productive use. So he described to me um, his mother coming to visit him in prison and then being unable to uh, to embrace or to touch each other because he was behind a screen and she was in tears and he was uh, thinking to himself, on the one hand I've done nothing wrong, I've, I've tried to do the right thing, but on the other hand I've, I've caused this pain for my mother and so that terrible human conflict that he was going through, he described very very movingly. But then he described how, in his time in prison, he started to advocate for uh, very small things for the rights of prisoners, Uh, the rights of prisoners to have access to newspapers or um, uh, various other uh, changes in the prison rules, and and he succeeded, and he he, uh, uh, got a number of things in prison changed uh, and I think that was very inspiring to see even in prison uh, an activist never stops being an activist and uh, and can use their influence for, for for good.
0: And then for you human rights seems an important issue so why is it so important to you?
1: Well I first started to get involved in human rights work uh, when I was at university um, and it, it has grown from there and I think it's important um, Basically, because I've, I I uh, am someone who was born and grew up in a a free society where we take these freedoms for granted. We we assume that uh, it, it's perfectly normal to be able to express an, an opinion, to be able to practice a religion or not practice a religion as uh, depending on your choice, um, to be able to disagree uh, with, with others uh, without uh, having a knock on the door and, and being taken to to prison, and I think when I learnt of so many countries, and I happen to have focused particularly on Asia, but of course uh, so many parts of the world where people are not free, I I feel that those of us who have freedom have a responsibility uh, not to take it for granted, but actually to cherish it, to protect it, and to use our freedoms uh, on behalf of those who are denied them.
0: And Benedict, any last words?
1: I hope that my book The China Nexus uh, serves as uh, a helpful uh, wake-up call and a call to action. Uh, It sets out um, in a way that uh, I haven't seen any other books do. uh, The scale and severity of the challenges uh, in China today uh, and the challenges posed by the CCP to our own countries, it sets out uh, some thoughts on what we do about them. Uh, and I hope that um, readers will, uh, uh, will learn from it and, and will, most importantly, not just uh, read it, but actually then, uh, if they're not already involved, um, join the cause and jo- join the fight for freedom in China.
0: Well, Benedict, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. That was Benedict Rogers, co-founder and chief executive of Hong Kong Watch and author of The China Nexus. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. See you soon.